The reading of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians today is probably one of my favorite readings, like, ever. Uh, I think it's very powerful, and it's full, like, thick, like, frozen honey. It's so rich, so you can get a lot from it. And I think it's important uh, to understand and appreciate, like, the depth of it, to know the context of it. So St. Paul, in the letter to the Philippians, is one of his last letters before he dies. And uh, he's in chains, literally in chains in jail. And so imagine, like, one of the moments where you're like, this could be the last time of my life. And so imagine, like, what would you leave behind? What would you say, kind of a message, the last moment of your life? So then we look at that perspective. We look at the letter. St. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And in fact, in that very short letter to the Philippians, just four chapters long, he says 16 times to rejoice. 16 times. This is uh, the spirit that he has within him. He also says a lot of very heavy things that are hard to do in difficult moments. Like, for example, he casually throws out in the letter today, have no anxiety about anything at all. All right. But in everything, make your request known to God in thanksgiving and prayer, and then the peace of God will come upon you. So he says, have no anxiety. God's peace will be with you. He also says, so I, I think about this next part, especially uh, in light of um, two days ago, I got a call, you know, from Henry Ford. We, we uh, Father Pierre, Father Wissam, myself, we always get calls from Henry Ford to give anointing because uh, it's not just for our community, but even Roman Catholics, because we're so close by. So I went to a Roman Catholic, older woman, and she was saying, you know, she was in hospice. So she's preparing for her last moments, and she was very aware and everything. She said, Father, you know, I, I've gone to Masses. I've prayed here and there. I've been, I've been uh, you know, for the most part faithful. But, Father, this is so hard, these last moments uh, for me. Um, I didn't expect it to be this difficult. Some tears. And it was a very touching moment. But St. Paul, he, he kind of like, he kind of just goes out there. He says, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I need anything I've learned how to be content in plenty and abundance and in need and want. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So where does St. Paul get this strength from? Through him who strengthens him, right? Through Christ who strengthens him. I can do all things. So I want to focus on how we can get that. Uh, especially in light of one big detail. Bishop Francis, I think inspired by the Holy Spirit last year, said that 2022 is designated as the year of the Eucharist for our diocese. So we're still in that year of the Eucharist. We have a very Eucharistic gospel today. Very Eucharistic. So I just want to talk about this a little more. Uh, so inspired was he that actually six months later, after uh, the start of 2022, in June, all the United States Catholic Council of Bishops, the entire United States, Bishops declared it to be the year of the Eucharist for the Roman Catholics in America uh, from June 2022 to June 2023. So we've extended that to June 2023 until Corpus Christi, the Feast of the Body of Christ. In the Gospel today, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and they gave it to the people. And all ate and were satisfied. How many were there? 4,000 men not including women and children. So if you imagine Middle Eastern families back in the day, at least 15,000 people, maybe 20,000 people, all ate and were satisfied. 
And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is the Eucharist. That's a prefiguring of the Eucharist, where we eat and we're satisfied. So I want to look at the Eucharist in a special few ways. The, the very main ways we see the Eucharist. One, in the Mass. Two, in adoration. And three, when we actually consume Jesus. Those are very, uh, the very three ways I think we, we have experience with the Eucharist in our lives. Uh, in particular, the first one, um, that is in the Mass. So what are we encountering right now, just to get us uh, on the same page? What's happening on this altar is so beyond our imagination that St. John Vianney says that if you understood what was happening in Mass, you would die of joy. You wouldn't even be able to take it. Because what's present in the very Eucharist, obviously, is Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. But we're entering God's time. We're exiting our realm. And since God is the author of time, things don't go chronologically like they do for us. For God, at the same time, we have Adam and Eve being created. We have Moses bringing down the Ten Commandments. We have King David playing the harp. We have Father Matthew preaching to you on October 16, 2022 at St. Thomas. We have Jesus Christ being crucified, Mary Magdalene finding the tomb empty, and St. Thomas touching Jesus. All of that, we are in that realm. And all of that is being mystically present before us in this Mass. All of that's truly accessible to us, as accessible as Jesus was to Thomas when he touched his side. You're going to be touching him today. You're entering God's time. And that's just mind-boggling, beyond us in every way, shape, and form, incomprehensible and inexhaustible. Nobody here can fathom it to the extent of what's being offered to us. It's outstanding and over the top. The second thing we do is we see him in adoration. This church is so fortunate to have a 24-hour perpetual adoration chapel amongst like half of the Chaldean churches in our diocese. You don't understand. You have no idea how fortunate we are. You have no clue. It's stepping outside of the bubble of our diocese, especially in Michigan, how difficult it is to find an adoration chapel. How few and far between you see churches offering and, and giving due recognition to the Eucharist. Because we have an adoration chapel, I believe there's no accidental correlation to how many seminarians we have, to how fruitful this church is, to how we can't even... We struggle in this church to find a time and place to do activities because of how much it's bursting with life. And I, don't, I really don't think that's an accidental correlation. Even exorcists talk about these churches with adoration chapels. There is like a bubble of light and protection that's present, I mean, spiritually. Uh, and, and you know it and I know it. Thursday evening, I got out of confession. I put the Eucharist or pose them away. I look in the back of the parking lot. It looks like a club is going on in the chapel. <laughs> so many cars, lights, and what have you going. It's a beautiful thing to see. But at the same time, as so many blessings come from that, I do want to talk about now when we receive Him. When we receive Him, we have to be sure um, of one danger, and that is this. I think there's a very strong underappreciation of how important it is we have to be in the state of grace not in the state of mortal sin. There is a severe sacrilege and severe blasphemy that takes place when we take Jesus under the guise of mortal sin. I'm talking to you like, this is a high-level mortal sin because it's direct, intentional blasphemy against God. And so I urge you, if you want to come up to receive communion in the state of mortal sin, just go like this. And I'll give you a simple blessing 
And that way, we can prevent that from happening. Because that will stunt this church and a lot of its growth as well. Because that's the straight-up blasphemy to God. But besides the point, what we're being offered here, I mean, when we receive the Eucharist, it's so profound. I'm going to read to you one of my favorite quotes about the Eucharist. This is a quote by St. Ephraim. St. Ephraim wrote Maran Isha that we sing at the after communion. He lived in the 300s, okay? I'm going to read that to you now. He says, One particle from its crumbs. One particle from its crumbs. You imagine when I break the Eucharist during Mass? Imagine how many microscopic particles go everywhere. So one particle from its crumbs is able to sanctify thousands and thousands and is sufficient to afford life to those who eat it. I remember the first time I heard this quote. I was in a Eucharist class with a priest from the seminary who since passed. He was such a holy priest. He was so holy that Mother Teresa, St. Teresa herself of Calcutta, called him personally and said, you will be a spiritual director for my nuns. In the morning, I would see him praying in front of the Eucharist for an hour, and in the evening for an hour. And this is how he looked. He looked like this. The whole time on his knees, glowing. He read this quote to us in my Eucharist class and started crying. How touching it is that one crumb is able to sanctify thousands. Just like the woman who said in the Gospel, even the dogs eat the bread that falls from the tables, the crumbs that fall from the table. That's what we eat. That's what we're approaching. That's what we're receiving. And by golly, do we underrate that? Do we underappreciate that? In this year of the Eucharist, I urge you, I urge you to not take for granted. You know, I hear from so many people. I ask about their their relationship with adoration. And the, the typical response is, Father, I, need to, I know I need to go some more. And you know what I say to you? Go some more. Stop saying that. If you know you need to go, then go. And make an appointment with Him and go and see Him. I believe that during this year of the Eucharist, special graces will be offered to us. Innumerable graces are going to come from it. And I want to read to you, and maybe I'll close off with this too. This is another translation from one of the prayers that, uh, that we say. So, in, in the Chaldean tradition, at the end of adoration, there is a prayer that's sung. If you come like during the Achawiyah's prayers, at the end you'll hear it. I'm going to just say like the first couple words, how they sing it. And this is an old Aramaic, so you're not probably going to understand it. Goes how it norane zayin. So they're singing this hymn, and I don't know if they even understand the translation. I'm going to translate that for you. It is so. It's probably one of my favorite prayers in the Eucharist too. Here it goes. Lightning vested angels. First, it's the first three words. So imagine. The, late, uh, the clothes that the angels are wearing is lightning. That's how, this is the fifth seraphim, right? The closest angels to God, they're on fire. Lightning-vested angels cover their face before your awesome majesty. They are not able to look upon God, even though they are wearing much, much nicer clothes than we are. Lightning itself. And then the second part of the prayer, is just only two lines, that's the first line. The second line, And behold... Wretched dust comes to consume you with unveiled face. We just casually walk up 
Even the dogs eat the crumb from the master's table. So if you want to learn the secret of St. Paul, uh, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, then I want you to think about what St. Paul said. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The, letter, the book of Isaiah, he said today, perfect peace is found in the man who has his eyes fixed on the Lord. Think about these things. There's nothing greater you can think about than the Eucharist, Jesus himself. That's what we celebrate this year. That's what's being offered to us. And that's what we're about to receive right now. And so we'll turn on the perspective of knowing and appreciating what's before us in this altar and allowing ourselves in the right state to worthily receive Him and be transformed in the renewal of our minds. Amen.